Welcome to the Presentation Boss Podcast. I'm Kate Norris. I'm Thomas Craft. And we're here to help you plan, design, and deliver your best presentation. Welcome, bosses. It's the Big 90, episode 90 of the show. And we're doing it. We're doing the guest thing. Yes, we are. As we sort of discussed in that last episode, that we should go back and have a little bit of a listen to some of the great moments that happened in all of the guest interviews that we did last year. I think of all of last year, one of the things I am most proud of is the guests that we had on the podcast And we've been asked, like, how did you get such names on the podcast? People that are really well known in the speaking industry who are expert at communication. And it just comes down to when we started the podcast, we didn't have contacts for these people. We just started making a podcast and asking the brilliant communicators around us that were in our network and did some quality interviews with them sort of in 2019, which gave us the credibility and the leverage to be able to reach out to some of these people who probably otherwise wouldn't be like, you know, somebody's first guest on their new little podcast. And last year we just managed to, what do we have, like 15 brilliant guests. Was it 15? I think it was, yeah. And i got to say, I did love going back and listening to them again. Because like you said, there were just some really cool conversations. And I know at the time I definitely took something away from each person. But going back again, I've managed to write some things down from pretty much every single person. And picking out just four each today was so insanely difficult. And... I know I asked for this last week already, but maybe we could do this again sometime. (laughs) Did you do the thing where you like heard them say something and you're like, oh, that is where we picked it up from. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's kind of become part of our vernacular now and our teachings and our philosophies. And yeah, I think a couple of them we heard for the first time on this podcast. And it's kind of cool to see as well our own learning and understanding having developed from having these conversations as well. Oh, it's just so good chatting to an expert and they give you like beautiful, simple understanding and vocabulary to surround these concepts that can otherwise be a little bit difficult. And I don't know about you, Kate, but I'm just feeling like all super inspired and motivated about speaking after listening to some of these uh, folks in the last like week. Yeah. So we've picked four each. It was exceptionally difficult just to pick those little snippets, but we've done it. And I've got heaps more from people that we haven't chosen for this episode, And it's purely a matter of time so that we didn't have like a three hour episode this time. (laughs) We have to go home at some point. Yeah. (laughs) So how about you start? Who is the first person that you picked and why did you pick this snippet? I'm going to go way back to January. Let's take it from the top. And I want to talk about Grant Baldwin, who we had. Now, we have both listened to Grant Baldwin's The Speaker Lab podcast for like ever. And I remember we recorded and because of the time difference, we recorded late at night and we got to the end of that recording and we were just so ridiculously jacked up because he was the first, he wasn't our first international guest that we'd recorded with, but he was the first person that really came off our wish list. Somebody we had to reach out to and contact, convinced to get on. We recorded the episode and it was awesome. And I think it was like one o'clock and yeah, we were just buzzing. Yeah. (laughs) So we're like, oh my gosh, we got this cool guest. (laughs) And it was just exciting. And like you said, it's not our first international guest. But it felt like a bit of a milestone for us at the time. The start of something big, at least. So I think it was a brilliant conversation. Well worth going back and listening to the full thing because there's heaps of nuggets in there. We talked a lot about the effort you can put into preparing your presentations, practice, and just deciding to sort of be good. So the snippet I have chosen is because there's a lesson right at the end after he tells the story that you'll hear. There's a lesson right at the end that I think about a lot. And for me, was the key takeaway from the entire conversation. 
Yeah, a lot of it, I think, is what you don't see um, and the work that goes mm -hmm. in behind the scenes. Um, yep. And yep. so the 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 best speakers on the planet, uh, it looks like they just get up and they just wing it and they're just making <laughs> it up on the fly and they're just shooting from the hip. And that's, yep. just, that's just not the case. Like they have spent hours and hours and hours practicing, rehearsing, preparing, going over their material, going over their talk. So by the time they get on stage, it looks like they're just, you know, they're just making it up. And the reality is, is like they've made it, they've worked so hard to make it look like that. Uh, so I think that's a really big part of it. You know, there's certainly, um, there's certainly speakers who are just naturally charismatic, who may get up on stage and can be okay. Um, but those that are really, really great, um, really take the craft seriously. And they really think through um, the word choices that they use and how uh, stories flow together and how a talk is structured uh, and how they're interacting and engaging with an audience. Uh, a good example of this in kind of a similar field is there's a, a documentary called Comedian with Jerry Seinfeld. And oh, yeah. I think it's, it's on Netflix. Have you guys seen it? I haven't seen it, but I've definitely um, come across it. And I think it might be on my yeah, list. Yeah, you gotta, yeah, you gotta check it out. It's really good. So basically the premise is like after the TV show Seinfeld ended, Jerry Seinfeld is still like a, a traveling um, stand-up comic. And so he's working on his material and it just kind of shows like the behind the scenes process of him trying new jokes and trying things and like really thinking through like, okay, this, you know, this punchline is 10 words. How do I get it down to eight words and get it tighter? And, you know, should I use this word or that word? And it's like all this stuff that... You we you, like you see someone like a Seinfeld or whatever comedian stand up on stage and they're, they're just amazing and you're like you just think that they're naturally funny and sure there yeah. may be some like natural charisma to it but like they're also thinking through like every single word in that set or in that presentation is like carefully crafted uh, and so it just looks natural it looks effortless but there's so much work behind the scenes and again so one of the things I like is for someone who, who's listening who's like I want to become a better speaker Yes, there are absolutely speakers who like have a certain a certain amount of, of natural charisma and natural charm or natural naturally funny or any of those type of things, uh, and they they may have you know some of those things that you didn't necessarily feel like you were born with, but everyone can work behind the scenes. Everyone can practice. Everyone can rehearse. Everyone can prepare. So by the time you get on stage, you're more prepared. You're ready to deliver and, and, and be great. Um, so I would say that that's a really big thing that anyone can do, you know, regardless of your, of your ability or your history or your background or your skill set, hmm. uh, is that you can spend the time working and practicing on your talk. I love that message. Regardless of where you are in your speaking journey, you can work. You can do something about being better. I just love that. Thank you so much, Grant, for being on the show. All right, Kate, who was your first pick? Well, I'm not going to go so much in order, and I'm going to go to our last guest of the year, which was Vin Jang. Oh, Vin. We had quite a few comments come back to us after this episode of people who just really resonated with a lot that Vin said. And in my opinion, he is one of the best communication teachers out there. And the bit that I chose for this is more about personal development. And I think that this is, I mean, personal development is something that I hold very dear. I put a lot of time and effort into it. And his view on personal development, I just really loved. Don't be so attached to who you are in the present that you don't give the future version of you a chance. Don't. Who you are now is just who you are now. It's not even a true indication of who you can be tomorrow or who you can be next month. And how you currently speak, don't be so attached to that because people go, oh, this is my natural voice. And, and then I tell them, look, I hate to drop another bombshell on you, but the voice you have right now is not your natural voice. It's your habitual voice. 
these are the series of habits that you've developed along the way. And you've just gotten used to these habits. It's not even your natural voice. You lost your natural voice when you were like two. The voice you have now are a series of habits that you've adopted because of the people you admired when you were young. And it may be good and it may be bad, but it's your habitual voice. It's not your natural voice. And the classic thing they say is, I'm going to let my work do the talking. Okay. Now, look, that's true to a certain extent. That's true to a certain extent. And then there's proof of people who don't have to become exceptional communicators and can become wildly successful. An example of that is Elon Musk, right? He is one of the most intelligent human beings on this earth. Yet, if you see him present, like again, like I, I, I love Elon. So I will sit through anything that he does. Whereas my wife, she goes, oh my God, turn it off. I can't listen to him anymore. Right. Mm. And I love it. I'm like, I don't care that, you know, you're not an exceptional communicator, but then you have to ask yourself, are you Elon Musk? And if you are, then great. Don't worry about your communication skills. You can, you can become the third richest man in the world or richest person in the world by, by not even, but then you have to ask yourself, are you a unicorn? So to me, if you're a unicorn, you have my permission, go for it. Don't worry about your communication skills. It's all good. Just keep doing what you do. (laughs) But that's if you've got a horn growing out of your head. Okay. If you don't have a horn growing out of your head and you're not a unicorn, you better start working on your communication skills. I'm not a unicorn. I have to work on my communication Mm. skills. So I think that's the bit that really resonated with me about not being so attached to who you are now that you're too afraid to grow and become someone else. And I don't know, like who, who you're meant to be or something like that. Right, so the next chap that I have chosen was Nolan Hames. Again, somebody I have listened to on an unbelievable amount of other podcasts and knew we had to get him on the show because of how he talks about PowerPoint and how he talks about presentations. This was a beautiful conversation and there was a comment in the conversation where we asked him what makes better presentations and he immediately said, it's not better design, it's better content. And I thought that was really interesting coming from somebody who deals with presentation design, PowerPoint Mm. design. And this led into the conversation. I'm going to play a little snippet of it for you about why that's so important. I can't believe that I only discovered Nolan, I don't know, like 18 months ago, not that long ago, but I've listened to so much stuff from him since because he's one of those gems that just speak so clearly about the things that I'm interested in, I guess. So if you have any sort of interest in data storytelling, data presentation, data visualization, Nolan is someone that you need to dive further into. Yeah, totally. All right, let's listen to the thing. So Nolan, what would you say are the fundamentals that make the difference between an average slide deck and an awesome slide deck, especially in you know, the corporate presentation world? Um, content. It's not design. It's um, limiting content. It's less con- The more successful presentations have far more limited content, far more... Uh, edited content, far more clear storytelling. Uh, and I, I shouldn't even say that word more, for clear messaging. Let's put it that way. Um, so yeah, it's, it really comes down to that. So the most successful business presentations um, and, and charts and infographics and visual communications of all sorts are the ones that are the most minimal uh, because they've done the work to pare things down. No presentation has ever been made better by adding a bullet point. So for adding a hundred bullet points and when you work on something with multiple people, that's all they do. Oh, let's put that in there. Oh, let's put in that. Yeah. Oh, let's, Oh, we're going to cut these five slides. And I'm like, thank God. And replace them with these 20 slides. It's like, Oh, boy. well, okay. We've, we're going the wrong way here. 
So the most successful, it, just, it comes down to content. And, and if you want good design, which you should, better design will come from more concise and limited content. A, a lot of times clients will say, when we're talking about aesthetics of, of presentation or design, I'll say, you know, what are the things you like? I'll, I'll ask them to send me some examples. And a lot of times they'll say, oh, I love Apple presentations. I love, you know, when Steve Jobs presented, mm -hmm. I love that style. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, I love it too. But what you've sent me is slide after slide with 20 bullet points. Uh, that wasn't the content that Apple used or uses now. If you can get to their type of content, I can help make it look that way. But you know, content affects design, design affects content. And if you don't have both, you know, if you're not willing to uh, work on both simultaneously, then mm. um, I, the design is, is just gonna be limited. Oh, two key messages I took away there. Better presentations limit content and better design comes from having better content. Both just points at having that refined message and making a lot of decisions about what doesn't go into your presentation. I just love it. I love the whole episode. Thank you, Nolan, for being on the show. I'm going to go back up to the beginning of the year, back oh. up to Andrew Tarvin. <laughs> we are all over the place. <laughs> now, Andrew Tarvin describes himself as the world's first or world's only humor engineer. Um, he's someone that I'm slowly trying to force my friendship onto. I've been a part of one of his events. He's been a part of a couple of our events. He's been on our podcast. And one day he will be my friend because I just think he's a cool guy with some really great content. One of my favorite ways that I see Andrew express his personality when speaking is like the self-deprecating humorous stories that he tells. The way he tells humorous stories, I just love. Like obviously he studied how to do it, but there's so much to learn from him in how to do that. Interesting you should say that because the section that I have chosen is a story that he tells and it is so much got a great message. It's so much for someone who has any sort of engineer in their life will just recognize this. Obviously being married to an engineer, this resonated with me so much. This is exactly something that my husband would do. All right, all right, let's play the thing. <laughs> Uh, there is a difference between being efficient and being effective. Mm -hmm. And the, the example, the kind of the, the story that crystallizes for me was I was a, a resident advisor in university. Um, and so a resident advisor, if you're not familiar, they're basically, you know, they live in the dorms. They're responsible for taking care of incoming freshmen. They, you know, they're, they're juniors or seniors typically. And so they're, they're not quite babysitters, not quite parents, but just <laughs> kind of there to make sure that the students don't like do too much harm to their like GPA or livers or anything. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And uh, I was paired with another RA at Ohio State and we worked really well together as a pair because I was good at the engineering stuff. I was good at the paperwork and the planning and the schedules and all that. Yeah. And she was really good with the humans, which is a very valuable <laughs> trait to have. And so we decided to do this floor dinner and uh, we decided to cook, to cook spaghetti for everyone for the floor dinner. And I'm not a cook. I don't do any type of cooking. Mm -hmm. um, but I was like, oh, you know what? I can watch what she does and then repeat it uh, and then I'll be able to help in that way. And so I'm watching her cook spaghetti. She pulls out a, a pot. She fills it with water. She lets the water boil. She puts the spaghetti in. And I was like, oh, I can do that. And I can do it more efficiently. So I take out a pot, I fill it with water, immediately put the spaghetti in, then turn the burner on to let the water boil. And that's wrong. 
uh, Amy, my co-RA, who I was cooking with, like freaked out and she like ran over and she like dumped it all out. And she's like, listen, you clearly have no idea what you're doing. Just get out of the kitchen. And we do the rest of the floor dinner and uh, the residents leave. We're cleaning up afterwards. We're talking a little bit. And I could sense like Amy was still mad at me, uh, <laughs> mostly because she said, I'm still mad at you, um, which I wasn't able to pick up on. And she said, she was like, the reason why I'm mad is because you always try to take shortcuts. You always try to do the least amount of work possible. She's like, you do it with your homework, you do it with your residents and you do it with me. And that's, and I realized she was right. Like I realized, you know, I was treating each one of my residents like a task list where I was like, okay, if I spend three minutes with this person, three minutes with this person, three minutes with this person, I'm an amazing RA. Or sometimes presenters have that same thing of like, oh, okay, well, I've heard about the three-point story structure. So if I tell them what I'm going to tell them, tell them what I told them, or tell them and then tell them what I told them, if I just follow that, everything is good and I can just go mm. through it. And it's like, no, there is, that's, that's the difference between being efficient and being effective. And so engineers, I think in general, we do have an obsession with efficiency. I've realized over time that even more important is to be effective right? Because it doesn't matter how yeah. fast you run if at the start of the race, you run in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. humor is kind of one of those elements where maybe it's not the most efficient. Yes, maybe it takes a little bit more time to craft a good story to start your presentation, or it takes a little bit of time to find the right image instead of just writing the text on your slides that you want to say and just, you know, rather than memorize it, you just read the, the text, but it's not effective. And if what you are doing, if you have a message that you want to share, you think you can have an impact, you want to do the things that are effective with people that are going to get them to pay attention and take action. And humor can be one of those valuable tools to do that. Yeah. Oh, so good. And I think just the message of effective versus efficient. So often we are trying to go for efficiency when effectiveness is what we actually should be aiming for. And I think that story is just such a great analogy for it. Thank you, Drew, for being on the show and uh, looking forward to being friends with you. All right, number three or five. I don't know how we're counting this. Uh, I am going in chronological order because... <laughs> because Thomas versus Kate. Yeah. <laughs> I was at a networking event and a guy I knew, uh, we were talking about our podcast and he said, you have to get Colin Kinner on the show. And I was like, who is Colin Kinner? And we found him. He's a local here in Brisbane and turns out he's brilliant. So the whole conversation we had with Colin was talking about pitching. He works a lot with startups and people starting their side hustle and getting their business off the ground and trying to earn what it is that they want to earn as a part of that process. Usually like investor funding or something like that. Yeah. And... He pointed out in that conversation quite rightly that we are always pitching, always trying to get people to think or do something that we would like them to think or do. But also his philosophy really resonated with us around being super specific about what it is you're trying to achieve and who you're communicating to and what you want them to know. So I'm going to play the clip, which was basically his answer when I asked him, Colin, what is a pitch? So for me, a pitch is, is really telling a story. And it doesn't matter whether it's coming from a founder of a startup or someone who's in a sales role in a corporate um, or in any other kind of organization, everyone has to pitch all the time. Um, you know, you pitch when you're in a job interview, you pitch when you're trying to close a sale, um, you pitch when you're trying to recruit people. So for me, pitching is telling a story and it's also, it's starting a conversation. So I do a lot of work with people who are delivering kind of short punchy pitches of let's say four or five minutes. And they've all watched Shark Tank and they think, oh, right, I've got a pitch so that at the end of it, someone will commit to writing me a check for a million bucks. That's not reality, of course. So a pitch really is just getting 
enough across that, that your audience says, that's really interesting. I'd like to continue this conversation and learn some more. You know, obviously a pitch can be to, to get investors to, to take an interest in investing in your company. But a lot of people make this mistake of saying, right, I've got to get the outcome from this, this presentation is I've got to get someone across the line, get them to commit, whether it's investing or, or buying your product or whatever it might be. Um, and that actually sets you up for failure because what, what people tend to do is they go, all oh, right, I've got a limited amount of time and I've only got this person's attention for, for you know, everyone's got a finite attention span. And what they try and do is they say, right, I've got to get this person to make a decision by the end of the next three minutes. And then they try and cram in all of the information and all of the kind of key selling points in that short period of time. And it ends up being a mess. Whereas I think if you view it as the start of a conversation, you say, well, it's, it's, it's even the kind of breadcrumbs thing that says, well, if I can just deliver a couple of little nuggets of information that lead the, the audience to go, oh, well, like you mentioned something about that. You didn't really tell me the full story. Can you tell me some more? Because that was really interesting. And isn't that brilliant? Just a pitch is not designed to be the end of a conversation. It's designed to be the start of a conversation. When I heard that and thought about it and started implementing it, even for me, it just changed how I think about any conversation, which is remotely a pitch. This is the start point. And again, we're seeing a recurring theme about get your content good, limit your content. Think about your audience. Yeah. Oh, you're not going in order again, are you? No. I'm going 74, Scott Stratton. It's not even next on the list. I know, I have a reason. I'm having oh, a reason. It pains me. Okay, Scott Stratton. This was another midnight conversation that we had because of the difference between Brisbane and Toronto time. And there's a weird, like, kinship between Canadians and Australians, and we seem to just kind of connect really well. We had him booked in for an hour. We got to the hour mark and said, sorry, Scott, do you need to go? And he was just like, no, I'm having fun. Like, let's just keep this going. And we ended up getting 90 minutes with him, which to us is just so exciting to talk to a really cool person for such a long time. It was just a lot of fun. Especially when we see Scott as like one of the best in the industry and we spent a bit of that 90 minutes just joking around and having a bit of laugh and having some fun. Yeah. But oh man, what a valuable conversation we had. Oh, so much he doesn't beat around the bush in what he means. He's quite direct, but his manner makes it so that it's not at all offensive or insulting. Always delivered quite pragmatically, but empathetically, I find. Definitely. His manner is just spot on, which I think is probably one of the things that has made him so successful, is the way that he can connect and be so empathetic with people. So the clip that I've chosen, I think it's not the most unique message. It's one that we talk about a lot about people not necessarily judging you, but being there for your content. But I really love the way that he delivers it. It's a, delivered in, in a very unique manner. And that's why I've picked it. I taught hundreds and hundreds of, I watched hundreds and hundreds of student presentations to a semester per student, four classes a semester. You, know, you sit through it all and you watch and it's no different with adults. You know, work is like high school and college, but you get paid. Right. It's the same idea. We all have insecurities and realizing that almost everybody standing up in front of a room, almost everybody uh, feels imposter syndrome. And that if you realize nobody cares about you, it sounds morbid, but it's not. Nobody cares about you up there. They just want you to finish. You know what I mean, like they just want you to give us the information. So if you view yourself as the vehicle for transferring the information, it's a little less pressure. Nobody cares if you screw up. Nobody's hoping you screw up and then rehearse practice, walk through it. What's making you nervous? And nerves causes a couple different things. But one of the biggest things is you feel unprepared or you feel like an imposter. Well, look into that. Why? 
Are you involved in the subject? Do you love the subject? And if you don't, do you have you made the points you want to make? And if it's too much, take some stuff out. We overstuff talks. We overstuff presentations a lot of the times. I think we really do because what we're doing is compensating for the fact that we don't want to talk ourselves. So we'll put a lot of stuff on PowerPoint and we'll just read it. It's a, it's a crutch. It's safety. And, and the first article I ever wrote, I ever wrote in my life for my business was called The Power Is Not The Point about PowerPoint. And I'm not like those people who says, you get death to PowerPoint, death to slides. I'm like, no, you've just seen really bad slides. They can work, right? They can work really well if they're helping accent a point. But we try to overstuff it so we don't have to be just kind of free flowing the whole time. The best thing you can do for any kind of presentation or meeting with your presentation is finish early. You know, it's just like, nobody's ever said, my God, I, you're supposed to go five more minutes. Now, I, I don't, by the way, I'm, I'm sorry for saying that because drastically early is not good either. Like I said, he's pretty direct. Like nobody cares about you, but it's so true. People are there to hear what you have to tell them. And we need to keep that in mind when we're speaking all the time. I love this conversation. I love Scott. I loved what he talked about. Like we said, it was a bit of a longer conversation, but brilliant value. Just don't argue with me. Go back and listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) So who is your fourth and final pick for this episode? All right. My final pick is the second of only two Australians on this list. I'm not saying as a theme, but I went with Chris Hewitt from Canberra. I knew you'd go with Chris. You loved this conversation so much because we talked about planes. Is it because we talked about planes? Yes. (laughs) Am I that predictable? Yes. It's not just because he's a pilot. I also like what he talks about. Love his work. He was good fun to chat to. This was only episode 83. It's not that long ago. And that conversation was largely around like creative language. He's big into poetry and spoken word performances. I think I actually understood poetry a bit better after talking to him. That helped me. He taught you a new word in that episode. Do you remember it? Yes, it is assonance. And it is the repetitive use of the same vowel sound. Ooh, very good. Yeah. (laughs) Vowel stuff, okay. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so we had a good conversation about creative language, how you can weave a little bit of interesting techniques into your presentations, especially for things like your key message, making that rhyme. And we we talked a little bit about planes too. Anyway, so the segment I have chosen. You picked the plane story, didn't you? (laughs) You loved that. Leave me alone. Just let me pick the segment. (laughs) It is one with a plane story because it carries a beautiful message. And we also talk about how you speak differently in front of different size groups. Mm. Brilliant advice from Chris. Here it is. What do you see is the difference there in how you communicate to a group versus interpersonal? interpersonal? It feels different. Okay. That's, that's the only difference. The principles are the same, whether you're meeting with one person or you're meeting with a whole group of people. Right. Thinking about your audience, preparing what you're going to say, thinking about how you can connect your message with the audience and finding that overlap, watching out for for feedback, adjusting the way that you communicate as you get that feedback and and listening, whether that's listening to a whole audience, listening with your eyes, so seeing how they're reacting or or actually listening to what someone's saying to you in a conversation. They're all the the same principles. I think the, the only difference would be more people you get in front of, you tend to be... Uh, want to appear more prepared and if all the conversation is yours then you will rehearse more i like that it just feels different as well Mm. i have i have a strange question which is what's the uh what's the biggest lesson you learned in your aviation career that directly translated into your communication career the only time that i came close to uh, losing my life when i was flying 
happens in Canada. And uh, myself and my wingman, we're in our, each in our own aircraft and we're flying a low levels practice mission. So flying close to the ground, about 80 meters, about 900 kilometers an hour. And we usually fly close, uh, close enough to see each other, which was one to two kilometers apart. We got split up. So we had to get back together again. And after the mission, I was debriefing, working out where we went. And this was in the 90s. So there was no GPS. There was Spice Girls and acid wash jeans. So we basically had our own memories. We had a, a, a tape that recorded what we said on the radio and what you could see out the front. And I'm running through this and working out what happened and where we went and how we got back together again. And, and I'm starting to feel really, really nervous. There's something wrong. And I realized that when we got back together again, we'd spoken on the radio about where we were in relation to a point on the ground. We had assumed that we we're both talking about the same point, but we weren't. We were talking about two different points. And that meant that we flew about two to 300 meters apart past each other, which is one to two seconds at that speed. So we, we came within one or two seconds of colliding with each other and, and didn't realize it until afterwards. So I think the, the, the thing that I took away this, the sharpest lesson was to be very clear in what you're saying and to always check with the other person. So always do that checking in. We spoke before about thinking about your audience before you speak. We, you can't just stop there. You need to continue checking in with your audience the whole way to confirm their understanding. That's the most marked lesson that I learned from being a pilot. I love that recognition that some aspects of speaking are not black and white. Difference between big groups and small groups, it just feels different. You prepare slightly differently. It can be difficult to bolt down exactly what that difference is. And a lot comes down to experience. But I love just that acknowledgement that some things you've got to do and it will just feel a little bit different. Yeah. There's not always a beautiful, crisp answer for these things. And I loved it. So again, thank you, Chris, for coming and joining us on the show last year. And I really hope we bump into you again in 2021. All right, Kate, who's, I was going to say last, but who's remaining on your list? <laughs> so I've just had the awful realization that this is the only woman on my list. We had some really awesome women on the podcast last year. Oh, absolutely. But my last pick is Neen James from earlier in the year, episode 49. Now, still to this day, if I'm in a situation sometimes, I will say to myself, what would my inner Neen do? Really? Yes. Oh, talk me through this. She is amazing if you want to listen about confidence and being a strong leader and about owning your own space. And this snippet actually is not too far from talking about that exact thing. So let's listen to it. You need to have something worth listening to. I mean, I think what's ridiculous is, and look, I've seen it time and time again in my corporate clients. Someone is asked to give a presentation. So they open up their PowerPoint, they vomit everything <laughs> they know into a PowerPoint deck and they have 56,000 slides. And then they stupidly say, oh, I know you can't read this, but, right? It's so crazy. And especially technical audiences, my accountants do this, you know? And so here's the thing. You have to have something worth listening to and, if you've been invited to present, you have a right to be there. If someone has tapped you and said, we want you to present on this topic, it's because they believe you are qualified to do it. So mm -hmm. you have to take this assumption of being qualified to do it and prove to that person they were right in choosing you and prove to that audience that you're worth listening to. This doesn't mean showing off. It doesn't mean having ridiculous too many slides, but it does mean making it about them. 
I can just not get over how much energy Neen seems to always have. Mm. And I just love that message. If you've been asked to speak, you are the right person to be speaking and you need to claim that. And if you have been asked to speak, then you have something worth listening to and make the effort to find it. So thank you, Neen. I follow you. I love what you talk about. And like I said, I ask myself about my inner Neen and I really think that everybody should have an inner Neen voice. (laughs) So there it is. We had 15 brilliant expert communicators on the show last year. And that was eight of the snippets that have really stuck with us and definitely plenty of ammunition to do in a similar podcast like this in future. If you're a long-time listener, I really hope hearing these snippets has brought back some memories and maybe some learnings for you from those particular guests. If you haven't heard them, I'm going to put a link to all of the episodes down below or you can like scroll through your podcast player and just find them. I really do strongly encourage go back and listen to these people. They are world leaders in what they do. They talk sense and... And truly, I think there's nothing to lose. There's loads to learn and plenty of value in all of these conversations. For sure. And we're looking forward to some of the guests that we have lined up for this year. If there's anyone that you think that we should have, anyone that you'd really love to hear from, please let us know and we will try to get them on and talk to them. Otherwise, thank you to all of the guests who've given us their time on the show and shared their expertise. And thank you for listening in. We hope you've enjoyed it. We will be back in your ears next week. Thanks for listening to today's show. Head to presentationboss.com.au slash podcast where you'll find the show notes for this episode, all other episodes and other free resources. If you know someone that you'd like to hear from on this show or think that you have something of value to share, email us at podcast at presentationboss.com.au. Most importantly, we rely on you to share the information in this podcast. If you found value in today's episode, please recommend us to a friend or we'd love for you to give us a review on iTunes. It helps more people find us. Have a great week. He taught you a new word. Do you remember the new word? No. Oh, my God. (laughs) It wasn't alliteration. No. It was something to do with verbs or... Or was it the use of repetitive vowel sounds and it was called assonance? That's right. That's right. (laughs)